Welcome to Quantum Magazine's Science Podcast. Come for the science, stay for the stories. For news, interviews, videos, graphics, and more, visit quantummagazine.org. This week on the podcast, a 115-year effort to bridge the particle and fluid descriptions of nature has led mathematicians to an unexpected answer. And stick around or skip ahead to our second segment on explosive networks. Researchers are uncovering the hidden laws that reveal how the internet grows, how viruses spread, and how financial bubbles burst. First, Famous Fluid Equations Are Incomplete by Natalie Wolchover. In 1900, the great mathematician David Hilbert presented a list of 23 unsolved problems worth investigating in the new century. The list became a roadmap for the field, guiding mathematicians through unexplored regions of the mathematical universe as they ticked off problems one by one. But one of the problems was not like the others. It required connecting the mathematical universe to the real one. Hilbert's sixth problem called upon researchers to axiomatize the laws of physics. That is, rigorously construct them from a basic set of starting assumptions or axioms. Doing so would reveal contradictions between laws that demanded different axioms, and deriving the entire body of physical laws from the same axioms would prove they were not merely haphazard, incoherent descriptions of disparate phenomena, but instead formed a unified, mathematically airtight, internally consistent theory of reality. Once again, it was an issue of unification which pervades physics to this day, said Marshall Slemrod, a mathematician at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Axiomatizing all of physics was a tall order, so Hilbert proposed a specific task. Determine whether the microscopic and macroscopic pictures of a gas rest on equivalent axiomatic foundations and are thus different manifestations of a single theory. Experts approached this problem by attempting to mathematically translate the Boltzmann equation, which describes a gas as microscopic particles bouncing around at a range of speeds, into the Navier-Stokes equations, which described the gas on larger scales as a continuous flowing entity. Could the particle and fluid pictures be rigorously linked? While Hilbert's broader aim of axiomatizing physics remains unfulfilled, recent research has yielded an unexpected answer to the particle-fluid question. The Boltzmann equation does not translate into the Navier-Stokes equations in all cases, because the Navier-Stokes equations, despite being exceptionally useful for modeling the weather, ocean currents, pipes, cars, airplane wings, and other hydrodynamic systems, and despite the million-dollar prize offered for their exact solutions, are incomplete. The evidence suggests that truer equations of fluid dynamics can be found in a little-known, relatively unheralded theory developed by the Dutch mathematician and physicist Diedrich Kordovich in the early 1900s. And yet, for some gases, even the Kordovich equations fall short. There is no fluid picture at all. Navier-Stokes makes very good predictions for the air in the room, said Slumrod, who presented the evidence last month in the journal Mathematical Modeling of Natural Phenomena. But at high altitudes, and in other near-vacuum situations, the equations become less and less accurate. Remarkably, this surprising conclusion could have been reached long ago, before Hilbert ever posed the sixth problem. In 1879, another titan of science, 
the Scottish physicist James Clerk Maxwell pointed out that the Navier-Stokes equations failed to explain a near-vacuum experiment called the Crookes radiometer, apparently unbeknownst to Hilbert. It would have been nice if he read Maxwell, Slumrod observed. Many mathematicians worked hard on the particle fluid question after 1900, including Hilbert himself. He began by rewriting the complicated Boltzmann equation as the sum of a series of decreasing terms. Theoretically, this chunky decomposition of the equation would be more easily recognizable as a different but axiomatically equivalent physical description of a gas, perhaps a fluid description. The terms in the series quickly become unruly, however. Energy, instead of diminishing at shorter and shorter distances in the gas, seems to amplify. This prevented Hilbert and others from summing up the series and interpreting it. Nonetheless, there was reason for optimism. The leading terms of this series look like the Navier-Stokes equation when a gas becomes denser and more fluid-like. So, the physicists were happy. Sort of, said Ilya Karlin, a physicist at ETH Zurich in Switzerland. It's in all the textbooks. But did the Boltzmann equation, which the Austrian physicist Ludwig Boltzmann derived in 1872, actually converge to the Navier-Stokes equation, developed decades earlier by Claude-Louis Navier of France and George Stokes of Ireland and England, or to something else? The question remained open. In the early 1990s, Carlin, then a student working with Alexander Gorbin in Krasnoyarsk, Siberia, took another crack at the series that had foiled Hilbert. The location proved helpful. According to him, we always joke that it's the edge of the civilized world, so you sit there and think of great problems. Carlin and Gorbin developed a simplified model of the Boltzmann equation that contained the essential difficulties of the original and expanded the model equation in a series. Then, using a few mathematical tricks, they managed to sum it up exactly. The solution was not what they had expected. The problematic amplifying parts of the series were bundled together as an extra term in the solution. When, years later, Slumrod came across the Russian scientist's work, he recognized the term's significance. Marshall noticed that the structure of the exact equations that come out of my solution is not Navier-Stokes, Carlin said, but something very much reminding us of the equations of Cordovich for the two-phase fluid. Cordovich modeled the dynamics of fluids in which there is not only dissipation of energy, which is characterized by the Navier-Stokes equations, but also dispersion, or the smearing of energy into its component frequencies, as in a rainbow. Dissipation results from a fluid's viscosity, or internal friction, but dispersion is caused by its capillarity, the surface tension effect that makes some fluids rise in straws. In most fluids, capillarity is negligible, compared to viscosity, but it isn't always, and mathematically, it never is. It was this capillarity, Slumrod argued in a 2012 paper, that appeared as the extra term in Carlin and Gorbin's solution for their Boltzmann-like equation. Although the finding has not yet been generalized to the full Boltzmann equation, it indicates that the particle description of a gas, when translated into a fluid description, converges not to the Navier-Stokes equations, but to the more general, far less famous Cordovich equations. Slumrod gives very solid arguments that Cordovich hydrodynamics has a much wider area of applicability than Navier-Stokes, said Gorbin, who is now a professor of applied mathematics at the University of Leicester in England.
Still, Gorbin notes, his work with Carlin suggests that some gases of particles cannot even be captured by the Kordovich equations. When short-distance interactions between particles become strong enough, he said, such as at the edge of a shock wave, even capillarity cannot fully account for their behavior, and there exists no hydrodynamics. The incompleteness of the Navier-Stokes equations becomes apparent in an old experiment that is often for sale in museum gift shops. The Crookes radiometer, a windmill housed inside a partial vacuum chamber made of glass, rotates when exposed to light. In 1879, Maxwell attempted to describe the turning vanes of the Crookes radiometer by modeling the thin air inside the vacuum chamber as a fluid. Maxwell determined that if the equations, given by Professor Stokes, as he called them, told the full story of the fluid, the vanes would not turn. The turning of the vanes can, however, be modeled as a capillarity effect and described by the Kordovich equations. To mathematicians who have never been in a laboratory in their life, I finally get their attention and say, look at this thing, said Slumrod, referring to the Crookes radiometer. There are real things happening here, and you can learn from them. Slumrod hopes that employing the Kordovich equations rather than Navier-Stokes will be useful for modeling near-vacuum gases, like the thin air surrounding orbiting satellites. My hope is that it might be possible to use this corrected version down near the vacuum instead of the Boltzmann equation, which is a nasty object to solve, he said. Leo Corey, a historian of mathematics at Tel Aviv University in Israel, who has written a book about David Hilbert and his sixth problem, notes that Hilbert's original aim seems to have gotten lost in the details of the particle fluid question and remains unaddressed. Notice that the words axiom, or even foundation, or conceptual analysis do not appear even once in Slumrod's review, Corey said. If anything, Hilbert's goal of axiomatizing physics grew more daunting as the 20th century progressed. Even more challenging than the complicated relationship between particle and fluid dynamics is the seemingly irreconcilable conflict between quantum mechanics and general relativity, descriptions of nature at still smaller and larger scales. But even if the particle fluid question isn't a perfect proxy for the sixth problem, it has taken on a life of its own. I would not even dare to say that it is less important than what Hilbert had in mind when putting forward his sixth problem, Corey said. I would not argue with anyone saying that, indeed, it is much more important and impressive. And now, The New Laws of Explosive Networks, by Jennifer Ouellette. This month, United Airlines grounded nearly 5,000 flights when its computer system crashed. The culprit? A faulty network router. Later on the same morning, another computer glitch halted trading on the New York Stock Exchange for over three hours. Some saw the sinister hand of a hacker in these outages, but they are far more likely to be a coincidence, an intrinsic feature of the system rather than a bug. Networks go down all the time, a consequence of unprecedented levels of interconnection. Disruptions can occur even in the most robust networks, whether these are power grids, global financial markets, or your favorite social network. As the former Atlantic reporter Alexis Madrigal observed when a computer error shut down the Nasdaq Stock Exchange in 2013, when things work in new ways, they break in new ways. 
A fresh new understanding of such systems, the way they grow, and how they break, has arisen from the physics of coffee. Researchers usually think of network connectivity as happening in a slow, continuous manner, similar to the way water moves through freshly ground coffee beans, slowly saturating all of the granules to become coffee in the container below. However, over the past few years, researchers have discovered that, in special cases, connectivity might emerge with a bang, not a whimper, via a phenomenon they have dubbed explosive percolation. This new understanding of how uber-connectivity emerges, which was described earlier this month in the journal Nature Physics, is the first step toward identifying warning signs that may occur when such systems go awry. For example, when power grids begin to fail, or when an infectious disease starts to mushroom into a global pandemic. Explosive percolation may help create effective intervention strategies to control that behavior, and, perhaps, avoid catastrophic consequences. An explosive twist. Traditional mathematical models of percolation, which date back to the 1940s, view the process as a smooth, continuous transition. We think of percolation as water flowing through the ground, said Robert Ziff, a physicist at the University of Michigan who has been studying phase transitions for the past 30 years. According to Ziff, it's a formation of long-range connectivity in the system. The formation of connectivity can be understood as a phase transition, the process whereby water freezes into ice or boils away into vapor. Phase transitions are ubiquitous in nature, and they also provide a handy model for how individual nodes in a random network gradually link together one by one, via short-range connections over time. When the number of connections reaches a critical threshold, a phase shift causes the largest cluster of nodes to grow rapidly, and uber-connectivity results. Seen this way, the percolation process that gives rise to your morning cup of joe is an example of a phase transition. Hot water passes through roasted beans and shifts into a new state. Coffee. But explosive percolation works a bit differently. The notion rose during a workshop in 2000 at the Fields Institute for Research in Mathematical Sciences in Toronto. Dimitri Akliopdas, a computer scientist at the University of California, Santa Cruz, proposed a possible means for delaying a phase transition into a densely connected network by merging the traditional notion of percolation with an optimization strategy known as the power of two choices. Instead of just letting two random nodes connect, or not, you consider two pairs of random nodes and decide which pair you prefer to connect. Your choice is based on predetermined criteria. For instance, you might select whichever pair has the fewest pre-existing connections to other nodes. Because a random system would normally favor those nodes with the most pre-existing connections, this forced choice introduces a bias into the network, an intervention that alters its typical behavior. In 2009, Acleoptus, Raisa D'Souza, a physicist at the University of California, Davis, and Joel Spencer, a mathematician at New York University's Courant Institute of Mathematical Sciences, found that tweaking the traditional percolation model in this way dramatically changes the nature of the resulting phase transition. Instead of arising from a slow, steady, continuous march toward greater and greater connectivity, connections emerge globally, all at once, throughout the system in a kind of explosion. Hence the moniker, explosive percolation. The concept has exploded in its own right, spawning countless papers over the past six years. Many of the papers debate whether this new model constitutes a truly discontinuous phase transition. 
Indeed, in 2011, researchers showed that for the particular model analyzed in the original 2009 study, explosive transitions only happen if the network is finite. While networks such as the internet have, at most, about a billion nodes, phase transitions are most commonly associated with materials which are intricate lattices of so many molecules, approximately 10 to the 23rd power, or more, that the systems are effectively infinite. Once extended to a truly infinite system, explosive percolations appear to lose some of their boom. Yet D'Souza and her cohorts have not been idle either. They have uncovered many other percolation models that do yield truly abrupt transitions. These new models share a key feature, according to D'Souza. In traditional percolation, nodes and pairs of nodes are chosen at random to form connections, but the likelihood of two clusters merging is proportional to their size. Once a large cluster has formed, it dominates the system, absorbing any smaller clusters that might otherwise merge and grow. However, in the explosive models, the network grows, but the growth of the large cluster is suppressed. This allows many large but disconnected clusters to grow until the system hits the critical threshold where adding just one or two extra links triggers an instantaneous switch to Uber connectivity. All the large clusters combine at once in a single violent merger. A new paradigm for control. D'Souza wants to learn how to better control complex networks. Connectivity is a double-edged sword, according to her. For normal operating systems, like the internet, airline networks, or the stock exchange, we want them to be heavily connected, she said. But when we think about epidemics spreading, we want to curtail the extent of the connectivity. Even when high connectivity is desirable, it can sometimes backfire, causing a potentially catastrophic collapse of the system. We'd like to be able to intervene in the system easily to enhance or delay its connectivity, depending on the situation, she said. Explosive percolation is a first step in thinking about control, according to D'Souza, because it provides a means of manipulating the onset of long-range connectivity via small-scale interactions. A series of small-scale interventions can have dramatic consequences, for good or ill. Public relations professionals often ask how D'Souza's work might help their products go viral. She typically responds by pointing out that her models actually suppress viral behavior, at least in the short term. Do you want to eke out all the gains as quickly as you can? Or do you want to suppress growth so when it does happen, more people learn about it right away, she said. The same holds true for political campaigns, according to Ziff. Following this model, they would spend much of their time early in the campaign on grassroots local efforts, building up localized clusters of connections and suppressing the emergence of long-range connections until the campaign was ready to go national with a big media splash. In other systems, such as financial markets or electrical power grids, when a collapse occurs, it is likely to be catastrophic. And this patchwork approach could be used to reverse the process, breaking up the uber-connected system into a collection of disjointed clusters, or islands, to avoid catastrophic, cascading failures. Ideally, one would hope to find a sweet spot for the optimal level of intervention. In power grids, utility companies lose money every time a line goes down. So ideally, one should try to prevent any downtime. Yet acting to avoid any outage whatsoever can inadvertently lead to very large outages that are far more costly. Thus, encouraging small cascading failures 
can dissipate energy imbalances that would otherwise have caused massive failures later on. A potentially smart strategy even though it eats into profit margins. If you frequently trigger small cascades, you never really get massive events, but you sacrifice all that short-term profit, D'Souza explained. If you prevent cascades at all costs, you might make a lot of profit, but eventually a cascade is going to happen and it will be so massive it could wipe out your entire profit. The next step is to identify signs that may indicate when a system is about to go critical. Researchers understand phase transitions, like the ones that happen when water turns to ice, and can identify signs of an impending change. The same cannot be said for explosive percolation. Once we have a better understanding, we'll be able to see how our control interventions are impacting the system, D'Souza said. We will have this data we can analyze in real time to see if we are seeing the signature of the early warning signals from many different classes of transitions. Phase transitions have fascinated physicists and mathematicians alike for decades, so why has this explosive behavior been found only now? D'Souza thinks it's because the breakthrough required the merging of ideas from several fields. Most notably, Akliopta's idea to blend algorithms and statistical physics, thereby creating an exciting new modeling phenomenon. As Ziff states, it really is a new paradigm of percolation. You're listening to Quantum Magazine's Science Podcast with music by Poddington Bear. I'm Leah Alfonso. For news, interviews, videos, graphics, and more, visit quantummagazine.org. <laughs>